Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Wisdom of the Trail by Jack London, first published in the Overland Monthly, December 1899. This is a terrific story, Jesse. Uh, I love the fact that it's in the Overland Monthly, since the entire story is about trying to traipse overland. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a story that uh, I think a lot of people would think of as uh, not simply realistic, but powerfully realistic. The story, as you know, uh, focuses on a character named Sitka Charlie. Sitka Charlie is a Native uh, American or Native Canadian, um, one of the first people. But he has uh, thrown in his lot with the white man. So he knows the wisdom of the trail, which is the title of the story, from the, the, his upbringing among his own people. But he has also learned the law and the honor that represents the white man's wisdom of the trail. Mm-hmm. This, this story is one in which he has accepted the role of leader, of guide, for some overland journey in the Yukon. Uh, when we pick up the story, the, the, the group has hit terrible deprivation. London's description of frostbite, of hunger... Uh, it, it's really extraordinary. He's, he's so good at this. The, the story concerns a, a, a bit of a mutiny. Um, uh, two of the native, um, the, 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 the native Canadians um, who have names that are fully native. They're not part native Sitka and part uh, white, Charlie, uh, fully native. Uh, it turns out that they have decided that they're really not willing to help uh, the way they're supposed to. And in the course of the deprivation, Sitka Charlie uh, has to lay down the law to them and says, if you don't do what these things that are necessary for our survival, because we don't know whether it's one sleep or many sleeps until we get to the place where there are other people who will have food for us and be able to save us. Um, if you don't do this, you'll have to answer to, uh, to me and I have the rifle. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, uh, indeed, these two native Canadians are confronted by Charlie. He, he knows that they have broken the law. They've, they've eaten some flour, which is precious to everyone on the expedition. Um, illegitimately, and he says, you know, I'm going to have to fulfill the law here and, and kill you. Um, but he treats them with nobility and gives them the choice as to how to die. They die in a manly way. But before they do, they give their last request to Charlie to uh, give their worldly goods and what they're supposed to get for the contract of having been on this uh, this trek. Uh, one to his wife and one to his sister so that she can escape the abusive relationship she has married to a white man. 
and go back to her people. The conflict between the white and the, the Indian um, is powerful throughout this story. And Sitka Charlie has both of these within himself. He, he kills them. And then the echoes come back, not just one rifle, but many rifles. Right. And of course, what that means, since there was only one other rifle in the expedition, that the other rifles have answered the noise. It means that, in fact, they were close. They were within hearing distance of a rifle shot of people who could have saved them. And yet, in order to uh, fulfill the law, uh, Sitka Charlie has killed two native Canadians. Uh, the question arises at the end then, what is the wisdom of the trail? We're told in the beginning that the great law of the universe right. is I, 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 I want to exist. Uh, and so that's why the two native Canadians have eaten the flower. He's broken that law in a way, Sitka Charlie, but on the other hand, maybe the ending is saying that in extremis, the wisdom of the trail that the native Canadians know and the honor and the law that the whites know, in extremis, these may turn out to be the same thing. And isn't that, isn't that hard? Isn't that hard? That's hard. That's is, the word. Is that how you look at the story, Jesse? Have I, have I, summed it up in a way that sounds appropriate to you it's, it's pretty it's pretty good i i love the way this story makes you really think um because uh, I, I, in, in reading about what other people think about this story i i don't think many of them appreciate how good a story it is um one of the things that i i read that somebody had wrote about it was that it was it wasn't quite finished that there was it was sort of just a an idea for a story. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a finished story. It does exactly what he wanted it to do. And it's a hard, hard story. Um, it very much reminds me of a story uh, by London called uh, To Build a Fire, which doesn't have any natives in it. It just has one white man in the Yukon um, and his his dog. And the dog has a wisdom that the man doesn't have. Um, and the man dies in that story. And it has that sort of the, the rules of the universe, right? The whole dominant note of the entire living universe is um, we don't care about you, right? You, you are just a flea on the surface of the earth and the cold doesn't care. Um, that is a great story. But this story, I think, has something equally interesting, but it also has this opposite uh, feeling. The way that Sitka Charlie uh, has adapted to the white man is a horrific and powerful image of, of psychology. Um, and with that ending, it's, it's traumatizing to the reader, I, I think. But in addition, there is this relationship that Charlie has to the white woman, Mrs. Effingwell, right? Yeah. He, he sees her as soft and gentle and not hard at all, but noble in the way that he tries to be noble. 
Um, he hadn't met a woman like her before, and that basically committed him uh, down the path that he's been on his whole life, which is to throw his lot in with the white man. Um, it's interesting that the story is also titled The Wisdom of the Trail versus uh, The White Man's Wisdom, because there's a confusion in my mind as to what exactly the wisdom is here. The wisdom is one must follow the law, <laughs> but what law is it, right? The way, I re- the way I read the, the opening paragraph, I think that's where it is. Uh, Sitka Charlie had achieved the impossible. Other Indians might have known as much of the wisdom of the trail as did he, but he alone knew the white man's wisdom the honor of the trail and the law. Mm-hmm. So I take it that from the, the Indian's viewpoint, the wisdom of the trail is in opposition to the, uh, the law and the honor. That's right. That's why I suggested that in extremis, when what needs to be done is the preservation of that higher universal law, I, I, I want to exist, then the wisdom of the trail and the law and the honor come together. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they come together where survival trumps everything else. And those two Native Americans, Native Canadians, mm-hmm. who had violated the rule for the survival of the group, therefore must die. So that that notion that I, I, I want to exist trumps everything else turns out to mean that it even trumps existence, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I call it hard. Another reason I call this hard is that the physical description of the deprivation, the cold, the snow, the frostbite is so vivid and so palpable that one feels uh, this, uh, they, that Mrs. Effingwell, we're told, um, was a new breed of woman. Uh, she wasn't just from the South, meaning, of course, uh, even the South of Canada, not necessarily even South of the border. But uh, those women, th- their feet were meant to walk on snow. But here it was a new breed of woman. I'm, I'm quoting from the story. And ere they had been trail mates for many days, he knew why the sons of such women mastered the land and the sea and why the sons of his own womankind could not prevail against them. That's really extraordinary to have Jack London, a socialist, but a white man, put into the mind of this Indian an acknowledgement that, at least from that Indian's viewpoint, Indians must fail. Racially, they could not match what he saw, that is, Sitka Charlie, in Mrs. Effingwell. Uh, I can't help but wonder if Effingwell isn't a bit of a, a vulgar joke. Oh, it is a it is a vulgar joke, I think. What what's so extraordinary also is then this is why I love going back to the original publications, is in all subsequent pa- publications, it's not Effingwell, it's Eppingwell. <laughs> a changing a change that m- cleans up the horror of this story, <laughs> just a, that little bit more. Um, the law, I mean, what, what's so extraordinary about this 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 character, Sitka Charlie, is we see the whole story through his eyes. Um, 
the two characters of uh, Kachakti and Gauhi, those are the Indians he executes, he he kills them because they stole from the uh, food bag and they didn't take charge of the man that they're supposed to basically be carrying and kicking up this mountain, up this hill, up this trail, right? Yeah. They they just said, we're too hungry, we're too tired, we're starving to death. Everyone on this journey is starving to death, right? But this guy, Joe, this white man, has given up. <laughs> He's, right. He can't move anymore. He can't crawl anymore. And when... Well, when, to, to give him to give Joe his due, he's given up because he's so debilitated that he's delirious. They're all like that, yeah. There uh, some more than others. Obviously. He doesn't even know where he is. We're told he doesn't feel he, it when he gets kicked. Yes, Sidka Charlie um, is obviously the most robust of all of these people. He's he's running up and down the trail, checking to make sure everybody's doing their job, and he's the trail the trail master. Right. He's taken this responsibility. Uh, almost on an equal footing as Captain Effingwell, right? Who's up the trail, uh, not maybe not quite as noble as his wife, but a very noble white man indeed. Um, and Sitka Charlie is running back the trail to make sure that those two Indians are doing their job, which is to make sure Joe gets up this trail, right? When he finds them, Joe's feet are actually in the fire. He, d- he can't feel it. His moccasins are smoking in the coals, and he can't feel it. And the two men are eating the food that they are so ravenous for. And when when Sitka Charlie says, uh, you've broken the law, and you will be punished, line up against that tree, I'm going to shoot you, what are your last requests? They obey. Because he's taken on that mantle. He's got the he took their guns away, right? Yes. He he's become a white man. And the the lesson is white men are more powerful than red men. This is a story I think that is not about racism of the kind where, you know, um red men are inferior to white men. It's a story where White men are harder in that they they don't care about people as much as they do about the law. And they have instilled this somehow in Sitka Charlie, or Sitka Charlie somehow instilled it in, in himself. He's seen the dominance of the white man, and he's come to throw his lot in with them. And so when he does that execution, and it turns out that they are just, you know a few miles or kilometers away from from food and safety um we see uh, that honor right the white man's honor the white man's wisdom which is law trumps you know human human need human uh, the honor tr- trumps everything there's no forgiveness basically under the law the white men are less, are more important than red men. I, I, I think that in one level, the story is saying that, but in another level, I think it becomes more complicated. Um, 
Sitka Charlie says to uh, the two uh, native Canadians who do not have uh, English type names, are ye content to die by the law? We are, they say with an exclamation point, then goodbye, my comrades. May ye sit by the well-filled pot in warm lodges ere the day is done. There, there is a commonality as well as a separateness between Sitka Charlie and these two people he's supposed to lead. And I would point out that the, the, the mistake or the, uh, the infraction that, that uh, Kauchukki and Gowi uh, have, have made has to do with eating flour mixed with water and just heated. Earlier in the story, we're told that they were surviving on unleavened bread. Uh, this is a very strong reminder of the story of the Exodus, of the Hebrews leaving Egypt. Mm-hmm. And they do under the leadership of Moses, who was born of their tribe, but in fact was separated from their tribe. The famous story of him, you know, as a baby being put in the river um, and floating down and then making his way in the home of the Pharaoh so that he understands the law. But before he leaves Egypt, he coming to the defense of uh, of a of slaves, Hebrews, um, he bashes a a slave master and kills him. So Moses is himself a flawed representative of the law, even at the moment that he is going to become the leader of the Exodus. But for Moses, the Exodus is unsuccessful. The Hebrews get to go into the promised land, but uh, Moses does not because, you know, the commentaries say different things because he's denied at first denied God's uh, uh, commandment when he speaks, when God speaks out of the burning bush, because he is tainted by having taken life. Uh, He is a hard man, Moses. He does what's necessary to get the people where they're going. But the combination, the the internal conflict between uh, by being a person both of the tribe and of the older civilization, the dominant civilization, that that causes great problem for the person himself. I think Sitka Charlie is a Moses figure. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I, and those two people that he kills, um, he's meeting out punishment as Moses had to make sure that the Hebrews did not, for example, worship the golden calf. I mean, he had to keep them in line if there were going to be any success. So this is not a story only about the white man being superior to the red man. It's also a story about the necessity of the figure who straddles two different ways of looking at the world as necessary to be able to move a group from one world into another one. I, I I don't want to leave it with um, you you saying it's about the white man being superior to the red man. I think that London is saying that when the white man says we're superior to the red man, this is what he means. And that is we are more hard about killing people. We care about law more than we care about people. And 
I think that you know, you're catching on to that idea that this is a biblical story. Absolutely. I love when he speaks, when Sitka Charlie speaks to Gauhi and uh, Chuck T in his, in their language, maybe uh, they're all in the same tribe. It's not clear. Um, when he speaks to them in the native tongue, <laughs> the translation into English is in biblical, you know, King James style English. And it's wonderful. Yes. So, my good comrades, you have again forgotten that ye were men. Good, very good. There will be fewer bellies to feed. Feed, and then the uh, the Joe is lying there insensate, right? Kicks him a few times, and then the the two natives try to run off. Hold, Gauhi, and thou too, Kachakti. Ka has thou has the flower given such strength to thy legs that they might un outrun the swift winged lead? Think not to cheat the law. The law. Be men for the last time and be content that you die full stomached. And then the two men obeyed quietly without fear, for it was the future which presses upon the man and not the present. Thou, Gauhi, hast a wife and child, children, and the deerskin lodge in Chippewayan. What is thy will on the matter? And then he says, I want you to give all my stuff to my wife, right? Right. And thou, Ka Chakti, who hast no nor wife and child, mine is a sister, the wife of a factor at Koshim, right? And ye are content to die by the law? We are. Then goodbye, my comrades. May ye sit in the well-filled pot in the warm lodges ere the day is done. And he, he spoke. As he spoke, his rifle raised, many echoes broke the silence. Hardly had they died away than the other rifle spoke in the distance. Sitka Charlie had Sitka Charlie Sitka Charlie started. He's surprised. There had been one more, yet there was not one more other gun in the party. He had gave one fleeting glance at the men who lay so quietly, smiled viciously at the wisdom of the trail. That's not a smile of pleasure. That's a smile of uh, what have I done? Indeed. The 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 passage that you have just been reading includes something reminiscent to me of another famous uh, oppression of the natives by the the white men. Think not to cheat the law. Be men for the last time. Mm -hmm. Do not do not drink. Um, do not lap water. Are we not men? There is that whole passage of the law in the island of Dr. Moreau, which is published just the year before this story. Mm -hmm. The island of Dr. Moreau, that law that the beast people are made to listen to, are made to recite, does not actually make them like men. It makes them tractable to the white man who imposes the law on them. Moreau is changing the beasts to make them over in his own image. What he's doing, Moreau, is in fact trying to usurp the position of God in this island that he is creating as his own kingdom. He's the one with hubris. Uh, the beasts are the ones who suffer. Here we have Sitka Charlie, who has accepted the role of catechizing his own kind in the law, but the law is meant for 
the safety of the white man who has come to oppress, uh, not for the safety of his own kind, uh, the, the Indians. And so, yes, he realizes, Sitka Charlie, that he has now seen that the wisdom of the trail is one with the law and the honor that the white men bring. But in having to pursue that wisdom of the trail, he realizes that he has done something terrible. The word vicious, after all, is the adjective from vice. He, like Moses, has sinned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The same year that this story came out, actually right early in the year, February 1899, this story came out December 1899, is uh, Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, White Man's Burden, published in the United States in a very prominent position and became a hugely popular piece in the public the public mind at the time because of the expansion of US empire um it's a it's a poem about how it is the responsibility of the white man to go and civilize and and carry up the mountain as it is visualized in some of the propaganda uh, all the w- brown and black peoples of the earth. Right, right. The uh, opening stanza of that uh, poem uh, by Rudyard Kipling reads like this. Take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best you breed. Go bind your sons to exile to serve your captives' need. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild. Your new-caught sullen peoples, half-devil, and half child. Hmm. Obviously, uh, Kipling meant that kindly. We realize that his idea of kindness is, uh, is terrible. One of the things that makes the wisdom of the trail such a good story is that the social issues and the political issues and the culture class issues are all implicit in it, what is most vivid is the psychological toll that it takes on a clearly striving, noble, eager individual hoping to be able to find a place for himself in a world in the process of radical change. That's exactly right. But there's always more to say. 